Good morning, guys. If you want to grab your Bibles, make your way over to Genesis. I think that's kind of hard to find. There's a lot of tools in here. Maybe you could use some of these, Mark. I don't know if they'll last too long, but you know, these are some good tools. And、uh, it was good to hear from the kids. And I want to highlight one of the dads that they talked about. Yeah, I don't know about you, but.、Um, I want to succeed at this thing called parenting. I was、uh, listening to、um, a friend, and, and he was talking about a story where his kids were、uh, involved in toddler soccer. And、um, it was funny to see this group of kids playing soccer. And he's like, it's not really called soccer when they're toddlers, it's just really like the crowd running after a ball. Because they all bunch up together and they all run, and they are like a huge huddled mass just chasing this ball and they're going back and forth, back and forth. And he asked his daughter, who was in the stands watching her brother play, at the end when they were going home, honey, what was the score of the game? And then the girl said, it was 27 to 15. And his dad is like, Were we watching the same game? But what happened was that every time the kids kicked the ball towards the goal, the crowd would shout and be excited because finally the ball's going where it needs to go. So every time they would shout, the little girl thought that that was a point being scored. Every time they actually completed a pass because You know, when you, all you have is a huddled mass of people chasing a ball and they actually kick it to their same teammates, the crowd would shout and be excited. And the kid thought that was another goal. So, in that situation,、um, they really didn't define the objectives quite well, they were celebrating the wrong things. And when it comes to this journey of fatherhood and parenting, and honestly, when it comes to this journey called the Christian faith, we've got a father that one day we're going to stand before. I want to be successful. I want to have used the right tools and use them well and define the terms properly so that I can stand before him and he can say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. So, as we contemplate Father's Day, I want to take a look at a specific father. Because if, if I were to make a list of all the dads, Fabrizio, you're doing an awesome job, and I thank you. Feel free to stay as long as you'd like. You know, I love this. Don't you all love this? This is good. I'm like, man. So, I, I just said that in case you were planning to leave, you, you don't have to, okay? <laughs> this is great. I'm just, if you were to make a list of dads, who would, who would make that list from the Bible? Would you, would you get the same people that they were highlighting here? You know, w- would you include Abraham, the father of many nations? Would you, would you have on your list Solomon? And you might wonder, why Solomon? Well, he actually did write a whole book of Proverbs for his sons and for those who were his spiritual children. To pursue positions of leadership. Would you include in your list Joseph, 
the stepdad of Jesus. For we know his heavenly father was God. But Joseph was his earthly dad. Would you include these men? I wonder if in your list of men, you would have put down the subject of our time this morning. You'll find him in Genesis chapter 6. I'm thinking of the man named Noah. Would he really fall on your list, especially in light of some of the things that he's known for after the flood? When I say Noah, what do you think about? How many animals were on the ark? You can ask a little kid and they'll say ark, and, and, and it's, it's a common thought. Noah and the ark. Most people focus in on this aspect of his life, this great accomplishment and feat that he performed by creating this massive boat in a time that it wasn't raining. And he loaded it up with all sorts of animals. And he was able to save out of the judgment and perpetuate something incredible. Most people focus in on that work and they see that as his greatest achievement but i wonder if this morning on father's day we could consider noah as a dad what if we contemplate that consider for instance the context of his life genesis chapter 6 look at verse 5 for instance it says the lord saw the wickedness of man how it was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Noah lived in a time, he raised a family during a time of extreme wickedness. Go to verse 11. You'll read that it says the earth was filled with violence. Noah raised his family during a time of extreme violence and animosity. People were not kind to one another. Go to verse 12. You'll go on and read that it says, All flesh had corrupted their way. Not just a specific group of people, not just this culture, but all flesh had corrupted their way. Noah was raising his family during a time when God and God's ways were being ignored and rejected. Sounds familiar, huh? Verse 17. For behold, I, God, will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Man, Noah raised his family against the backdrop of impending judgment. I feel like it probably wasn't an easy task to raise kids within that context. Sometimes we look around and we say, oh man, there was, a, there was a post of uh, this former CEO who's talking about AI, and, and the title of his post was, if you haven't had children yet, I propose you contemplate it and wait first. Something to that effect. 
But his whole premise was talking about the state of AI and what's going and what the world is going into in this direction and how it's going to change society in so many ways. And so if you haven't yet, you know, had kids, maybe think about it. Obviously, from a totally secular, you know, not including, you know, the word of God in any way. But some things to think about. We know that we stand on God's word. And that he knows what he's doing. But you think about the days of Noah, the days of today. Noah faced some of the same hurdles that we face today. He raised his family during remarkably difficult times. And considering this, it's incredible to me. It blows my mind when I read about Noah and I see that he saw all of his family inside of that ark. That blows my mind. In the days that he lived, in the context of what he lived, he got to see each one of his family members saved. If that's not winning, I do not know what is. He saw every one of his family members in that ark. That is a win. That is what I want to be cheered for. I don't want to be cheered because I kicked the ball towards the goal. Or I made a complete pass, Danny. I want to be cheered for because my kid was in the ark. My wife was in the ark. My mom was in the ark. My dad was in the ark. My family was on the ark. That's my desire. So just for a few moments... I want to bring out some things out of Noah's story for you dads and for you moms. Honestly, for all you Christians, for each and every one of us, I want to just bring out some things because I feel like if we study this word, if we look into Noah's story here, I believe that every single one of us want to experience the same win. We want to win in such a way as well. If it were us in Noah's place instead, which of us wouldn't yearn, wouldn't cry out to see our families, our extended families on that boat? I think every one of us would be in the same place. So I want to explore this father's story and see how we can learn from him to take our desire from just being a desire and equip it with some tools in order to see it a reality. Amen. Regardless if you're a father or not, there's a word in here for you today. Turn to your neighbor and say, this message is for you. Turn to your other neighbor, it's for you too. Doesn't matter who they are. You see, whether you are a dad or you're not a dad, you are still a person of influence. Say influence. You have influence over someone's life. And therefore, what these verses teach us can help us where it matters most. Father, I pray that you would encamp your Holy Spirit around us and that your word would reach our hearts. Make it practical in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, how did Noah win where it counts? How did he win where it matters most? First and foremost, look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked 
with God. The first way where Noah learned to win where it counts is that Noah walked with God. The Bible says that he found favor. He found favor with God. This right here reveals where Noah stood before God. What his standing was with God. He found favor. What does that mean? To find favor is a formal expression often used when someone is making a request to a superior. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll find this same expression that Jacob found favor with Esau. After Esau had said, I'm going to kill you the next time I see you. You've deceived me. You've stolen my birthright. You've done all of these things. And I do not like you, brother. Next time I see you, you're out. So Esau and Jacob have been estranged. They finally come back together through this opportunity. And Jacob is trembling before his brother. He sends on caravans of gifts, of herds, of camels and sheep in order to pacify his brother so that he might find favor with his brother who has become a great people, a strong nation, and also has this ax to grind with Jacob. Favor, to find favor, is also used when someone in authority helps someone without status. Think about Joseph, who is sold into slavery by his brothers, ends up going uh, and being sold again in, in Egypt, and finds himself inside of Potiphar's household. The Bible tells us that Joseph found favor in the eyes of Potiphar. He who was a servant without status or authority is treated with dignity and respect and given something that he does not deserve according to his position. Joseph found favor. And here, verse 8 tells us that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If it helps you, another word for favor is grace. And isn't grace the word of the gospel? Isn't grace the word that we love? Because grace is an unmerited favor that gives us what we never would deserve. That we would never accomplish and experience. It's the gospel. It is favor that we experience salvation through faith. For God has made provisions for us. It is through his grace that he makes the door open to us. It is his grace that allows the Holy Spirit to move upon our hearts and draw us into God. It is by God's grace that when we respond in faith to his provision that he counts us just as if we never sinned. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him does not perish, but has everlasting life. We can all quote John 3.16. That is a message of grace right there. And Noah was a man who responded to God's provision of grace. And thus he found favor before the eyes of God. See, in verse 7 and 6 of this chapter, you'll read that God is displeased. He is grieving. His heart is in turmoil in the sense that he does not enjoy the labor and the fruit of what he created. And he is looking at it and saying, why did I make man? 
They're so wicked. They're so perverse. They're so violent. Everything is wrong. It's not working out. They have become so defiled and his heart is grieved. Church, we know that Jesus grieved in the New Testament, but here we find God also grieved when he looked at his creation. And in the midst of his grief, God looks out and he sees a man who is actually believing in the provision of God's grace and living according to God's design and fulfilling the promises of God by choosing to run after God. And God in that moment sees his heart be content because he's looking to a man. If you look at the nuances of the Hebrew language, you'll see that God uses Noah's name even. There's a connection to his name to rest. When God looks upon Noah, God's very heart is able to rest in knowing that my creation is not completely broken. But here's a man who is finding grace and favor. Amid all the weakness and all the grief, here comes Noah responding. And God gives him grace. Dads, I don't know where you may be in your life, in your walk. And everyone else, for that matter, if you're a person of influence, the greatest gift that you could ever give your family, the greatest gift you can ever give another person is going to give them the gift of allowing them to know that you found grace and that you have been saved. That is the greatest gift that you could give. It will mean more to your family than your bank account. It will mean more than all of your properties. It'll mean more than all the trophies and all the gadgets that you might amass because this is a gift that will never be taken away, a legacy that can never be stolen. This is a man who found favor in the eyes of God, but he also is described by God as being blameless in his generation. Blameless means upright. Noah is an upright man. That means if you look at the Psalms and you look at the different parts of the Bible, it'll tell you that this word is associated with the absence of sin. David said, I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. Noah is a man who did not only claim relationship with God, but he's a man who lived it out. And how many of us have found that claiming something's a lot easier than walking it out? And being blameless is a prerequisite to a close relationship with God. Because God is holy and we're not. And as we pursue his holiness, we have access to him. We grow in fellowship with him. Why? Because he cannot be in the presence of all that. We've been going through this in our series in the last several weeks. It's one thing for us to love God love talking about him, love being saved, love talking about being saved. It's quite another thing to actually live out the life of those who are saved. And that's what, Ab um, what Noah did here in this text. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you like it or not, I want you to let this settle in your spirit. There's people watching you. There are people observing you. And when I say you, I mean me as well. Whether we like it or not, sometimes we wish the people just wouldn't look at us, what don't we? Especially in those moments where we don't want to be blameless. 
especially in those moments where we want to act out in our impulses and, and, and follow through with saying that word that we know is out of season and out of love and out of order. We don't want people to be watching in those moments. We want to kind of say, just like in the movies, they say earmuffs, put your blinders on. Don't watch me. Don't look at me. But there are people observing and watching us. And Noah knew that full well. And he decided, I'm going to be a man that lives with integrity and be blameless before God. And it will not be said of me that, you know, watch and do as I say, but don't watch and do as I do. Sometimes what we do speaks louder than what we say, doesn't it? And this is what Noah decided to anchor his life on. He would follow after God. Friends, there's no greater witness in our lives than to be patient, to be consistent, to to walk before God. Just being steady, just continuing to move on in, in walking with God is something that is critical. That's why the Bible says he walked with God. That's a word of consistency. When you walk with somebody, you're step in step. You're you're tracking, you're going in the same direction. The Bible says in in that verse nine over there that he walked with God. That's only been said of one other person in the Old Testament and that was Enoch. He is the only one who walked with God. Others were called to walk before God, but he walked with God and Enoch even walked all the way into heaven. He never went through death. He walked all the way into heaven with the Lord. And here the Bible says Noah walked with the Lord. He was consistent. He wasn't just on fire one moment and then not on the other. He wasn't in one moment and out the other moment. He was constantly all in all the time. Sure, did he have some bad days? I'm sure he did. You'll read about him. But when you look at his life, he was all in, devoted. Even though I failed, even though I've I've not succeeded, I am going to trust in the Lord and I'm going to live for him and I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to move forward with the Lord. This was a consistent man, church. Staying true in our faith and moving forward with Jesus, remaining consistent with God has the power to change lives. It'll speak louder than so many verbal testimonies. And here this father learned how to do this. My question for you here, as as Noah walked with the Lord, are we walking with him? Today on this Father's Day, are you walking with him? Are you walking with him? Can it be said of you that you have found favor? That you are living upright? That you are walking consistently? And if you, if you can't say yes, you know, unabashedly to each one of these questions, then there's hope for us today. Because even David, who is known to be a man after God's own heart, was a man of many failures. And he was able to overcome many things. So right now, just in in your mind right now, just say, Father, forgive me where I've fallen short. Help me to walk with you. Help me to get off my own track and to hop on the road of your marathon where you want want me to run consistently, faithfully, with integrity in Jesus' name. Noah won where it counts because he walked with God. 
But secondly, I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. New Testament, almost near the end. Noah also preached to others. It says in verse 5, it goes on to say, But God preserved Noah, a herald. Maybe your Bible says a different word. A herald of righteousness. The Bible calls Noah a herald. The guy that stands in the corner and shouts out and speaks the truth. Your Bible might say preacher. He was known as a preacher of righteousness. This means that while he was building the ark, he was also there proclaiming the truth of the impending judgment. While he's there building with one hand, he is speaking out, repent, the kingdom of God is coming. Hey guys, there's an event that's never happened before. It's about to come. You need to get into this ark. Come with us. God is making a beautiful way of escape for us. There's bad things happening, but there is a way of salvation. You guys can have it. It's yours. It's free. Just come with me. Believe and trust in God. Don't be so consumed in your own ways and wickedness. There is a better way. He was a man that was preaching the word and proclaiming a way of escape. How did he do this? I feel like you know, Noah was speaking and preaching first and foremost in his conduct. If you think about the backdrop of the context of what it says, it tells us that the world was wicked, it was violent, it was corrupt, and here stands a man who is the antithesis of all those things. Have you ever met somebody who backs up their speaking with their actions? Nobody's ever met a person that lives what they say and does what they proclaim. Man, I've met many of those people. And I aspire to be one of those people. It, it speaks louder than words, doesn't it? When you can look at someone's character, when no one is watching, they are still consistent and integrous you know, in all that they do. You don't have to second guess, will they do the right thing this time because they maybe did it last time, will they do it again? They are always consistent in doing what is right. Man, Noah was consistent in doing what was right and that was the loudest sermon. He was different from the world around him and that was the sermon that connected when it mattered. We'll get into that. When people saw him, they saw, this is a man who swims against the current. He's not going with the flow. He's not doing what we're doing. He's not endorsing what we endorse. He's not partying with us where we party. He's not celebrating what we celebrate. He has a different value system. And people notice him going against the grain. He preached in this conduct, but then, so should we. Didn't Jesus say, you are the light of the world? Didn't Jesus say that we are to be different? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your God, your Father who is in heaven. Our lifestyle is a church. Your lifestyle is a sermon. Our lifestyle is church. When people meet us, they have gone to church. Why? Because we have spoken through our conduct that we believe in him, that we live for him, that we follow after him. You're the light of the world. The question becomes, though, is our lives shouting the sermon that it needs to shout? 
when other people are watching us, do they sense a difference in us? Or do they say, oh, same old, same old. You're just like me. It's good for us to relate in certain aspects, but there should be a contrast in the life of a Christian and the world. Noah preached in his conduct, but he also opened up his mouth. Some of us, we go too far down the opposite uh, spectrum and we say, we are just, we're never going to say a thing. We're never going to open up our mouths. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. I will just let my example speak for me. And that's critical. It's important. But Noah opened up his lips. It was known in the Jewish world that he was a man who was speaking the admonition of God. Josephus, a Roman Jewish historian of the first century, is recorded in saying that, you know, and he echoes Jewish tradition, but Noah, indignant at their conduct and viewing their counsels with displeasure, urged them to come to a better frame of mind and amend their ways. Yes, we have to let our light shine, but one of the best ways we can let our light shine is actually open up our lips, making sure that our light and our words that are coming out of our mouths match the lifestyle of our actions. Those kids probably heard Noah speak again and again for 120 years building that ark. He's speaking the way of salvation. We've got to let our light shine and we have to open up our mouths because that is what God has called us to do. Didn't it say in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that you are to be my witnesses, right? Wait for power from on high. Stay here in Jerusalem and you will be endowed with power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We need to open up our lips and speak. Noah spoke up. And when his kids saw that he cared enough to say what mattered and what was true, when his kids saw him to be the man who didn't want to just be their friend, but wanted to be the guidepost to truth, they realized that he cared enough for them and he wanted salvation for them. And it taught them a lesson that they did not forget. Noah also preached in his commitment. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that we are not to grow weary in doing good. Paul speaking to the Galatians, do not grow weary in doing good for in due season you shall reap if you do not give up. There's a payday coming, church, when we're consistent. For 120 years, Noah's working on this thing. He's building this thing that nobody knows about and understands why it's there. No one has seen the practical use case for this thing yet. It's never rained. And 120 years, he builds, he preaches. He builds and he speaks. He builds and he declares God's plan. Imagine that, 120 years. Man, sometimes I do something for a week and there's people calling me, how come you're doing this with the church? I don't understand why we're doing this and why we're not doing that event and why we shouldn't be doing this event and we should be doing about this ministry and going about this cause and and pastor, you're doing it the wrong way or you know what? That's awesome. But 120 years of people saying, dude, you're crazy. It's never rained. This makes no sense. What are you talking about? Yeah, he's been saying that for years and nothing's ever happened. Imagine 120 years working on one project. 
Your kids see you every day. Your family sees you. Where are you going today, Dad? Back to the job site, guys, building the ark. Back to my microphone soapbox, preaching. I'm going to go into the supply house to pick up more nails, and I'm going to speak the plans of God and the purposes of God, and they're going to fight off me again one more time in this place, 120 years. And despite the pressures, despite all the ridicule, Noah persisted in his commitment, and he was unwavering to build and to preach. How successful can we rank him? Let's be honest, though. How successful do we rank Noah? If we look in, 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 in his world, God gave him a way of salvation and a way of escape, and he gave him a message, and he's preaching it 120 years. And the only people that respond to him is his family. Not a single soul in his community other than those in his home his wife, his boys, and his daughters-in-law. Nobody else. He's not necessarily filling a stadium here. He's not selling out, you know, the broadcast television spots and taking prime time. How successful is this man? After all that, just his family. But I dare say one of the greatest endorsements of the validity of our testimony is our unwavering commitment to live for God in spite of what others are doing. And if all I get to do is save one, then it's important and it mattered. How successful was this man? He was the most successful that he needed to be. He was faithful to the end. Noah won because he did not give up. He won because he saw a payday coming. He was faithful to God. My conduct, my words, my commitment will all continue to be the same. And I will see God fulfill his plan in my life and my family. He won where it counted. Because as he did these things, he gained the admiration and the respect of those closest to him. And that's where he wins the greatest. Go back to Genesis 7, verse 7. It says, And Noah and his sons, and his son's wife, and his son's wives, I mean, with him, went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. While God spoke to just him, he didn't speak to the boys. He didn't speak to his wife or to the daughters-in-law. He didn't speak to any other person on the earth at that time. He spoke to Noah alone, for he found favor. He was upright. He was blameless. He was consistent. God spoke to one man, yet eight people are on that ark. He spoke to one person, yet all these others came within his family. Why? Because they believed that dad believes what he says. Dad believes what he proclaims to believe. Dad lives what he tells us to live. Dad's a model 
And I can respect that. His family knew him to be an authentic and genuine person. And that is the word for this generation. This generation is yearning and longing for those who are genuine and authentic. They don't want to see those who are wearing masks and, and paint a picture as if everything is perfect and right. They are even willing to accept uh, brokenness and insecurity and faults and failures. They want that on the table up front. They want to know about that as opposed to reading about that later on and being deceived or heartbroken and betrayed. It is important for this generation that they see genuineness and authenticity authenticity within us it's important for the church to live this because whether we like it or not the world is watching we live in a glass house whether we want it or not the church is in a glass house and the world is watching you know stop and think about this in that moment we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up in, in this moment when God's about to release the waters and it's time for them to enter the ark because the waters are coming. Every one of his family members walked past Noah and went into that ark together with him. This is an incredible feat, church. Contrast him with Lot. God gave Lot a warning that judgment was coming. He told him, hey, look, Lot, I'm going to bring down fire from heaven over Sodom and Gomorrah because they are wicked and vile. Homosexuality is running rampant. People are raping each other. There's violence. People are murdering each other. There is so much brokenness in the city that I am going to rain down judgment on this place. He sends the angels to, to bring the message. People want to take the angels and have intercourse with the angels themselves. Lot cries out, no, no, take my daughters instead. Have your way with my girls. Are you kidding me? Lot, who left Ur of the Chaldeans with his uncle Abraham. Everywhere they went, Abraham would pitch a tent and he would, he would build an altar and he would worship God. Lot, on the other hand, would pitch his tent and he kept going further and further away from the Lord. Let me just go by the city. Let me just put my tent by the tent by the gates of the city. And pretty soon he's inside the city and he's consumed by everything that's going on around that city. And Lot lost his character and his integrity. He was not consistent. He was not preaching through his actions and his word. He compromised in his faith. So when it came time for judgment to come, the warning had been there and it's time for them to flee. In essence, I say that Lot fled alone. He escaped alone. As they're running away, the angels told him, do not look back. His wife turns around and instantly she turns into a pillar of salt. Well, pastor, his daughters escaped him. It tells us that his daughters were with them later on in the cave. So you're wrong. But am I? I feel like he lost his daughters in the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. For the very next story we read about his daughters is that they entice Lot to get drunk and they make him drunk so that they can perpetuate his line and they sleep with their dad. I don't think that they're following the ways of the Lord. 
I think they've been corrupted and defiled in some way. And in so defiled their dad as well. I find it incredible that when the judgment was coming, Abraham experienced favor. Noah experienced favor. David experienced favor. We look at all these men and women, not perfect in any way, but they've experienced favor for staying consistent in this moment. Noah experiences the favor of God because his children say, I'm coming into the ark. This message has been heavy on my heart this week. Because I do feel it's time for us to rise up and live out our faith. More so than any other time in history. There's too much hanging in the balance. There's too many people who are in need of hope. And they're looking to the church. And unfortunately, when they look at me sometimes, they see a person that doesn't have a lot of patience. Or a person that is too consumed and just, you know, trying to do work for God as opposed to spending time with Him. And if those simple faults and failures that I know are are maybe robbing people of their hope, what other things do they see in us? As we answer rashly, as we don't stand in the gap when we need to, as we don't speak up because we don't want to rock the boat, they are looking for someone who believes what they say and lives what they say, and it's important. When it's all said and done, Will those closest to us follow after us? When it's all said and done, while I know the decision is purely between them and God, I know that I'm not, I'm not denying that. My mom can't save me. Uh, any of you, you can't save me. I have to follow after Jesus and he alone can save me based on my faith in him. That's the case for all of us. But the reality is we influence each other. Parents, you influence your children. Christian, you influence your spiritual children. People are watching. There's these cliffs around Cape St. George, just south of Jervis Bay in Australia, where it's been notorious for shipwrecks. It was decided that they needed to put a lighthouse in order to help with all of these issues so that people could safely navigate those waters. In 1857, a colonial architect, Alexander Dawson, began looking at a site to build a lighthouse. Unfortunately, Dawson was way more interested in the ease of construction rather than providing an efficient navigational aid. When the board that needed to approve the lighthouse came through, and they verified Dawson's location. They found that the site wasn't viable. It wasn't visible. It didn't provide the required approaches that they needed. They also found that the map that he had put together was impossible. It wasn't actually complete. There were discrepancies so grave that it would not be able for them to, to find even the positions that he marked on the map. The board also suspected that he chose that place because it was close to the quarry where he would mine the stones to build the lighthouse and he would go forward. Man, talk about cutting corners. And despite the glaring deficiencies and the disagreement on the board, the majority of the board still decided to let this man build and authorize his, 
lighthouse. And then for the next 40 years, that ill-sighted lighthouse, that, that lighthouse that was in the wrong place was responsible for more than two dozen shipwrecks. It stood at a place where it should not have stood. It lured ignorant ships to come into the very rocks that they were trying to avoid. Even after it was decommissioned and the light was turned off, the lighthouse continued to be a source of pain. And it caused navigational problems because when the moonlight hit the silhouette of that lighthouse, the golden sandstone tower glowed in the dark. So near the turn of the century, the tower was reduced to rubble and they knocked it down to finally say good riddance. Enough is enough. Dads, friends, fellow Christians, where do you stand? Where do you stand today? You are visible. Are you a source of direction and hope? Are you a signpost to Jesus? Are you a signpost to his mercy and his grace? Are you a signpost today? Do you stand in the place where you point people to the supernatural power of God's healing abilities? Do you point people to salvation? As you look at Noah, and then you reflect on yourself, just think, am I saved myself? Meaning, am I in a relationship with Jesus? Not am I in a one-time contract that I signed and I have the paperwork to prove it. But am I in a relationship? As you reflect, am I, am I living a consecrated, consistent life before those who are watching me? Am I sharing my faith with Jesus, of Jesus with others? Is my family on the ark with me? It's their choice, yes. But please don't be ignorant of the fact that you play a part in that. Will you stand with me? Lord, this is a simple message that's been hard to share. For I feel the weight of this, Lord Jesus. I don't want to succeed in what doesn't matter. I know that you have a supernatural way where you will in heaven wipe away every tear from our eyes. Where, Lord God, we will completely be consumed by the glory of who you are. And that will overshadow and it will, Lord Jesus, supernaturally, some way, somehow, allow us not to feel the weight of the absence of the people we most love if they choose not to respond to you. I know this theologically, it's in your word. There will be no grief, no moral, no, no sorrow, no, no tear in heaven. I know this. 
But God, what I will not know, that which I will be ignorant of in heaven, Lord, please let it be that it does not become that my family members that I love and those that are closest to me will not be there, Father, because of my actions. Because of my poor example. Because I was too busy chasing the dollar or chasing fame or chasing whatever. That I allowed someone else to teach my family, someone else to influence my family, someone else to influence this generation and speak into their lives and take a hold of their hearts and lead them down the path of destruction. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us. Cause us to take inventory this Father's Day. Whether we're dads or not. Because you called us to be Christians. Those who resemble Christ. Those who most look like Christ. Help us to influence this world. That in the incoming judgment, we have stood the test of time. We have been faithful in our calling. We have succeeded where it matters most. And there are droves and crowds and crowds and legacies and dynasties of family. Generations upon generations, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-linguistic people who will come into heaven because of our influence. Whatever stands in the way, Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts right now. That you would change something within us this very week. That you would break something off of us, God, that is robbing us of our testimonies. That is deflating the power that's within us. Lord, I pray, remove every single foothold the devil has in our lives that he uses to keep us quiet inconsistent hypocritical in Jesus name if you've got something that you need to deal with whatever I want you to come to these altars and there's going to be a prayer team right over here moving forward the prayer team is coming you can always meet with them men and women of incredible prayer uh, burden and, and passion of intercession they're going to be joining us to pray with you every single week so do not leave this place the same way you came but come be supported have the words and the promises of God the prophecies of the Lord and his word be spoken over you and that God would meet you as you trust in him